An African Millionaire, the episode of the arrest of the colonel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. How much precisely Charles dropped over the slump in Clotudorps I never quite knew. But the incident left him dejected, limp, and dispirited. Hang it all, say, he said to me in the smoking room a few evenings later. Colonel Clay is enough to vex the patience of Job. And Job had large losses, too, if I recollect all right, from the Chaldeans and other big operators of the period. Three thousand camels, I murmured, recalling my dear mother's lessons. All at one fell swoop, not to mention five hundred yoke of oxen carried off by the Sabines then a leading firm of speculative cattle dealers ah well charles mediated aloud shaking the ash from his cheroot into a japanese tray fine antique bronze work there were big transactions in livestock even then still job or no job the man is too much for me the difficulty is i assented you never know where to have him Yes, Charles mused. If he were always the same, like horny men's tea or a good brand of whiskey, it would be easier, of course. You'd stand some chance of spotting him. But when a man turns up smiling every time in a different disguise which fits him like a skin, and always, apparently, with the best credentials, why hang it all, say? There's no wrestling with him, anyhow. Who could have come to us, for example, better vouched, I acquiesced, than the Honorable David? Exactly so, Charles murmured. I invited him myself for my own advantage, and he arrived with all the prestige of the Glen Elegy connection. Or the professor, I went on, introduced to us by the leading mineralogist of England. I touched a sore point. Charles Winston remained silent. Then women again, he resumed after a painful pause. I must meet in society many charming women. I can't everywhere and always be on my guard against every dear soul of them. Yet the moment I relax my attention for one day, or even when I don't relax it, I am bamboozled and led a dance by that arch madame picardet or that transparently simple little minx mrs granton she's the cleverest girl i ever met in my life that hussy whatever were to call her she's a different person each time and each time hang it all i lose my heart afresh to that different person i glanced round to make sure amelia was well out of earshot no say my respected connection went on after another long pause, sipping his coffee pensively. I feel I must be aided in this superhuman task by a professional unraveller of cunning disguises. I shall go to Marvelier's tomorrow, fortunate man Marvelier, and ask him to supply me with a really good tech, who will stop in the house and keep an eye on every living soul that comes near me. He shall scan every nose, each eye, each wig, each whisker. He shall be my watchful half, my unsleeping self. 
it shall be his business to suspect all living men all breathing women the archbishop of canterbury shall not escape for a moment his watchful regard he will take care that royal princesses don't colour the spoons or walk off with the jewel cases he must see possible colonel clays in the guard of every train and the parson of every parish he must detect the off chance of a madame picardette in every young girl that takes tea with amelia every fat old lady that comes to call upon isabel yes i have made my mind up i shall go to-morrow and secure such a man at once at marvelliers if you please sir charles says reed interposed pushing her head through the portiere her ladyship says will you and mr wentworth remember that she goes out with you both this evening to lady carey's brooks bless my soul charles cried so she does and now it's past ten the carriage will be at the door for us in another five minutes next morning accordingly charles drove round to marvelliers the famous detective listened to his story with glistening eyes then he rubbed his hands and purred colonel clay he said colonel clay that's a very tough customer the police of europe are on the lookout for colonel clay he is wanted in london in paris in berlin it is lay colonel kautchuk here lay colonel kautchuk there till one begins to ask at last is there any colonel kautchuk or is it a convenient class name invented by the force to cover a gang of undiscovered sharpers however sir charles we will do our best i will set on the track without delay the best and cleverest detective in england the very man i want charles said what name marvellier the principal smiled whatever name you like he said he isn't particular methurst he's called at home we call him joe I'll send him round to your house this afternoon for certain oh no charles said promptly you won't or colonel clay himself will come instead of him i've been sold too often no casual strangers i'll wait here and see him but he isn't in marvelly objected charles was as firm as a rock then send and fetch him in half an hour sure enough the detective arrived he was an odd-looking small man with his hair cut short and standing straight up all over his head like a parisian waiter he had quick sharp eyes very much like a ferret's his nose was depressed his lips thin and bloodless a scar marked his left cheek made by a sword cut he said when engaged one day in arresting a desperate french smuggler disguised as an officer of chasseurs de afrique his mien was resolute altogether a quaint or a cutter little man it has never been yet my lot to set eyes on he walked in with a brisk step eyed charles up and down and then without much formality asked for what he wanted this is sir charles vandrift the great diamond king marvellier said introducing us so i see the man answered then you know me charles asked i wouldn't be worth much the detective replied if i didn't know everybody and you're easy enough to know why every boy in the street knows you plain spoken charles remarked as you like it sir the man answered in a respectful tone 
I endeavored to suit my dress and behavior on every occasion to the taste of my employers. Your name? Charles asked, smiling. Joseph Methurst at your service. What sort of work? Stolen diamonds? Illicit diamond buying? No, Charles answered, fixing him with his eye. Quite another kind of job. You've heard of Colonel Clay. Methurst nodded. Why, certainly, he said and for the first time had detected a lingering trace of American accent. It's my business to know about him. Well, I want you to catch him, Charles went on. Methurst drew a long breath. Isn't that rather a large order? He murmured, surprised. Charles explained to him exactly the sort of services he required. Methurst promised to comply. If the man comes near you, I'll spot him, he said after a moment's pause. I can promise you that much. I'll pierce any disguise. I should know in a minute whether he's got up or not. I'm death on wigs, false mustaches, artificial complexions. I'll engage to bring the rogue to book if I see him. You may set your mind at rest. That, while I'm about you, Colonel Clay, can do nothing without my instantly spotting him. He'll do it, Marvellier put in. He'll do it if he says it. He's my very best hand. Never knew any man like him for unraveling and unmasking the cleverest disguises. Then he'll suit me, Charles answered. For I never knew any man like Colonel Clay for assuming and maintaining them. It was arranged accordingly that Methurst should take up his residence in the house for the present, and should be described to the servants as assistant secretary. He came that very day with a marvelously small portmanteau. But from the moment he arrived, we noticed that Césarine took a violent dislike to him. Methurst was a most efficient detective. Charles and I told him all we knew about the various shapes in which Colonel Clay had materialized, and he gave us in turn many valuable criticisms and suggestions. Why, when we began to suspect the Honorable David Granton, had we not, as if by accident, tried to knock his red wig off? Why, when the Reverend Richard Peplow Brabazon first discussed the question of the paste diamonds, had we not looked to see if any of Amelia's unique gems were missing? Why, when Professor Schleiermacher made his bow to assembled science at Lancaster Gate, had we not strictly inquired how far he was personally known beforehand to Sir Adolphus Cordery and the other mineralogists? He supplied us also with several good hints about false hair and makeup, such as that Schleiermacher was probably much shorter than he looked, but by imitating a stoop with Padding at his back, he had produced the illusion of a tall, bent man, though in reality no bigger than the little curate or the Graf von Liebenstein. High heels did the rest, while the scientific keenness we noted in his face was doubtless brought about by a trifle of wax at the end of the nose, giving a peculiar tilt that is extremely effective. In short, I must frankly admit, Methurst, made us feel ashamed of ourselves. Sharp as Charles is, we realized at once he was nowhere in observation beside the trained and experienced senses of this professional detective. The worst of it all was while Methurst was with us by some curious fatality, Colonel Clay stopped away from us. Now and again, to be sure, we ran up against somebody 
whom medhurst suspected but after a short investigation conducted i may say with admirable cleverness the spy always showed us the doubtful person was really some innocent and well-known character whose antecedents and surroundings he elucidated most wonderfully he was a perfect marvel too in his faculty of suspicion he suspected everybody if an old friend dropped in to talk business with charles we found out afterwards that medhurst had lain concealed all the time behind the curtain and had taken shorthand notes of the whole conversation as well as snapshot photographs of the supposed sharper by means of a kodak if a fat old lady came to call upon amelia medhurst was sure to be lurking under the ottoman in the drawing-room and carefully observing with all his eyes whether or not she was really madame picardette padded when lady trusco brought her four plain daughters to an at home one night medhurst in evening dress disguised as a waiter followed them each round the room with obtrusive ices to satisfy himself and just how much of their complexion was real and how much was patent rouge and bloom of ninon he doubted whether simpson sir charles's valet was not colonel clay in plain clothes and he had half an idea that cesarine herself was our saucy white heather and an alternative avatar we pointed out to him in vain that simpson had often been present in the very same room with david granton and that cesarine had dressed mrs brabazon's hair at lucerne this partially satisfied him but only partially he remarked that simpson might double both parts with somebody else unknown and that as for cesarine she might as well have a twin sister who took her place when she was madame picardette still in spite of all his care or because of all his care colonel clay stopped away for whole weeks together an explanation occurred to us was it possible he knew we were guarded and watched was he afraid of measuring swords with this trained detective if so how had he found it out i had an inkling myself but under all the circumstances i did not mention it to charles it was clear that cesarine intensely disliked this new addition to the vandrift household she would not stop in the room where the detective was or show him common politeness she spoke of him always as that odious man medhurst could she have guessed what none of the other servants knew that the man was a spy in search of the colonel i was inclined to believe it and then it dawned upon me that cesarine had known all about the diamonds in their story that it was Cesarine who took us to see Schloss Liebenstein, that it was Cesarine who posted the letter to Lord Craig Elichy. If Cesarine was in league with Colonel Clay, as I was half inclined to surmise, what more natural than our obvious dislike to the, to the detective, detective who was there to catch her principal? What more simple for her than to warn her fellow conspirator of the danger that awaited him if he approached this man Medhurst? However, I was much too frightened by the episode of the check to say anything of my nascent suspicions to Charles. I waited, rather, to see how events would shape themselves. After a while, Medhurst's vigilance grew positively annoying. 
more than once he came to charles with reports and shorthand notes distinctly distasteful to my excellent brother-in-law the fellow is getting to know too much about us charles said to me one day why say he spies out everything would you believe it when i had that confidential interview with brookfield the other day about the new issue of golcondas the man was under the easy chair though i searched the room beforehand to make sure he wasn't there and he came to me afterwards with the full notes of the conversation to assure me that he thought brookfield whom i've known for ten years was too tall by half an inch was too tall by half an inch to be one of colonel clay's impersonations oh but sir charles methurst cried emerging suddenly from the bookcase you must never look upon any one as above suspicion merely because you've known him for ten years or thereabouts colonel clay may have approached him at various times under many disguises he may have built up this thing gradually besides as to my knowing too much why of course a detective always learns many things about his employer's family which he is not supposed to know but professional honour and professional etiquette as with doctors and lawyers compel him to lock them up as absolute secrets in his own bosom you need never be afraid i will divulge i will divulge one jot of them if i did my occupation will be gone and my reputation shattered charles looked at him appalled do you dare to say he burst out you've been listening to my talk with my brother-in-law and secretary why of course methurst answered it's my business to listen and to suspect everybody if you push me to say so how do i know colonel clay is not mr wentworth charles withered him with a look in future methurst he said you must never conceal yourself in a room where i am without my leave and knowledge methurst bowed politely oh as you will sir charles he answered that's quite at your own wish though how can i act as an efficient detective anyway if you insist upon tying my hands like that beforehand again i detected a faint american flavour after that rebuff however methurst seemed put upon his mettle he redoubled his vigilance in every direction it's not my fault he said plaintively one day if my reputation's so good that while i'm near you this rogue won't approach you if i can't catch him at least i can keep him away from coming near you a few days later however he brought charles some photographs these he produced with evident pride the first he showed us was a vignette of a little parson who's that then he inquired much pleased we gazed at it open-eyed one word rose to our lips simultaneously brabazon and how's this for high he asked again producing another the photograph of a gay young dog in a in a tyrolese costume we murmured von liebenstein and this he continued showing us the portrait of a lady with the most of fetching with the most fetching squint we answered with one we answered with one voice little mrs granton methurst was naturally proud of this excellent exploit he replaced them in his pocket-book with an air of just triumph how did you get them charles asked methurst's look was mysterious sir charles he answered drawing himself up 
I must ask you to trust me a while in this matter. Remember, remember, there are people whom you decline to suspect. I have learned that it is always those very people who are most dangerous to capitalists. If I were to give you the names now, you would refuse to believe me. Therefore, I hold them over discreetly for the moment. One thing, however, I say, I know to a certainty where Colonel Clay is at this present speaking. But I will lay my plans deep, and I hope before, and I hope before long to secure him. Ye shall be present when I do so, and I shall make him confess his personality openly. More than that, you cannot reasonably ask. I shall leave it to you, then, whether or not you wish to arrest him. Charles was considerably puzzled, not to say piqued by this curious reticence. He begged hard for names, but Medhurst was adamant. No, no, he replied. We detectives have our own just pride in our profession. If I told you now, you would probably spill, spoil all by some premature action. You are too open and impulsive. I will mention this alone. Colonel Clay will be shortly in Paris and before long will begin from that city a fresh attempt at defrauding you which he is now hatching mark my words and see whether or not i have been kept well informed of the fellow's movements he was perfectly correct two days later as it turned out charles received a confidential letter from paris purporting to come from the head of a second-rate financial house with which he had dealings over the Craig Elichy amalgamation, by this time I ought to have said an accomplished union. It was a letter of small importance in itself, a mere matter of detail, but it paved the way, so Metters thought, to some later development of more serious character. Here once more the man's singular foresight was justified, for in another week re we received a second communication containing other proposals of a delicate financial character, which would have involved the transference of of some two thousand pounds to the head of the Parisian firm, and an address given. Both of these letters, matters cleverly compared with those written to Charles before, in the names of Colonel Clay and of Graf von Liebenstein. At first, it is true, the differences between the two seemed quite enormous. The Paris hand was broad and black, large and bold, while the earlier manuscript was small, neat, thin, and gentlemanly. Still, when Metters pointed out to us certain persistent twists in the formation of his capitals and certain curious peculiarities in the relative length of his T's, his L's, his B's, and his H's, we could see for ourselves he was right. Both were the work of one hand, writing in the one case with a sharp pointed nib, very small, and in the other with a quill, very large and freely. This discovery was most important. We stood now within measurable distance of catching Colonel Clay and bringing forgery and fraud home to him without hope of evasion. To make all sure, however, matters communicated with the Paris police and showed us their answers. Meanwhile, Charles continued to write to the head of the firm, who had given a private address in the Rue Jean-Jacques, 
alleging i must say a most clever reason why the negotiations at this stage should be confidentially conducted but one never expected from colonel clay anything less than consummate cleverness in the end it was arranged that we three were to go over to paris together that medhurst was to undertake under the guise of being sir charles to pay the two thousand pounds to the pretended financier and that charles and i waiting with the police outside the door should at a given signal rush in with our forces and secure the criminal we went over accordingly and spent the night at the grand as is charles custom the bristol which i prefer he finds too quiet early next morning we took a fiacre and drove to the rue jean jacques medhurst had arranged everything in advance with the paris police three of whom in plain clothes were waiting at the foot of the staircase to assist us charles had further provided himself with two thousand pounds in the notes of the bank of france in order that the payment might be duly made and no doubt arise as to the crime having been perpetrated as well as mediated in the former case the penalty would be fifteen years in the latter three only he was in very high spirits the fact that we had tracked the rascal to earth at last and were within an hour of apprehending him was in itself enough to raise his courage greatly we found as we expected that the number given in the rue jean jacques was that of an hotel was that of a hotel not a private residence medhurst went in first and inquired of the landlord whether our man was at home of the landlord whether our man was at home at the same time at the same time informing him of the nature of our errand and giving him to understand that if we effected the capture by his friendly aid sir charles would see that the expenses incurred on the swindler's bill were met in full as the price of his assistance the landlord bowed he expressed his deep regret as m le colonel so we heard him call him was a most amiable person much liked by the household but justice of course must have its way and with a regretful sigh he undertook to assist us the police remained below but charles and medhurst were each provided with a pair of handcuffs remembering the polpero case however we determined to use them with the greatest caution we would only put them on in case of violent resistance we crept up to the door where the miscreant was housed charles handed the notes and an open envelope to medhurst who seized them hastily and held them in his hands in readiness for action we had a sigh concerted whenever he sneezed which he could do in the most natural manner we were to open the door rush in and secure the criminal he was gone for some minutes charles and i waited outside in breathless expectation then medhurst sneezed we flung the door open at once and burst in upon the creature medhurst rose as we did so he pointed with his finger this is colonel clay he said keep him well in charge while i go down to the door for the police to arrest him a gentlemanly man about middle height with a grizzled beard and a well-assumed military aspect rose at the same moment the envelope in which charles had placed the notes lay on the table before him he clutched it nervously i am at a loss gentlemen he said in an excited voice to account for this interruption he spoke with a tremor 
yet with the, all the politeness to which we were accustomed in the little curate and the honourable david no nonsense charles exclaimed in his authoritative way we know who you are we have found you at this time you are colonel clay if you attempt to resist take care i will handcuff you the military gentleman gave a start yes i am colonel clay he answered on what charge do you arrest me charles was bursting with wrath the fellow's coolness never seemed to desert him you are colonel clay he muttered you have the unspeakable infantry to stand there and admit it certainly the colonel answered growing hot in turn i have done nothing to be ashamed of what do you mean by this conduct how dare you talk of arresting me charles laid his hand on the man's shoulder come come my friend he said that sort of bluff won't go down with us you know very well i won't charge i arrest you and here are the police to give effect to it he called out entres the police entered the room charles explained as well as he could in most doubtful parisian what they were next to do the colonel drew himself up in an indignant attitude he turned and addressed them in excellent french i am an officer in the service of her britannic majesty he said on what ground do you venture to interfere with me messieurs the chief policeman explained the colonel turned to charles your name sir he inquired you know it very well charles answered i am sir charles vandrift and in spite of your clever disguise i can instantly recognize you i know your eyes and ears i can see the same man who cheated me at nice and who insulted me on the island you sir charles vandrift the rogue cried no no sir you are a madman he looked round at the police take care what you do he cried this is a raving maniac i have business just now with sir charles vandrift who quitted the room as these gentlemen entered this person is mad and you monsieur i doubt not bowing to me you are of course his keeper do not let him deceive you i cried to the police beginning to fear that with his usual incredible cleverness the fellow would even now manage to slip through our fingers arrest him as you are told we will take responsibility though i trembled when i thought of that check he held of mine the chief of our three policemen came forward and laid his hand on the culprit's shoulder i advise you m le he said in an official voice to come with us quietly for the present before the jeu d'instruction we can enter at length into all these questions the colonel very indignant still and acting the part marvellously yielded and went along with them where's medhurst charles inquired glancing round as we reached the door i wish he had stopped with us you are looking for monsieur your friend the landlord inquired with a side bow to the colonel he has gone away in a fiacre he asked me to give this note to you he handed us a twisted note charles opened and read it invaluable man he cried just hear what he says say having secured colonel clay i am off now again on the track of madame picardette she was lodging in the same house she has just driven away i know to what place and i am after her to arrest her in blind haste methurst that's smartness if you like though poor little woman i think he might have left her does a madame picardette stop here i inquired of the landlord thinking it possible she might have assumed again the same old alias he nodded assent we 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 he answered 
She has just driven off, and Monsieur, your friend, has gone posting after her. Splendid man, Charles cried. Marvelier was quite right. He is the prince of detectives. We hailed a couple of fiacres and drove off, in two detachments, to the Jeu d'Instruction. There, Colonel Clay continued to brazen it out, and asserted that he was an officer in the Indian army home on six months leave and spending some weeks in paris he even declared that he was known at the embassy where he had a cousin and a tosh and he asked that this gentleman should be sent for at once from our ambassadors to identify him the jeu d'instruction insisted that this must be done and charles waited in very bad humor for the foolish formality it really seemed as if after all when we had actually caught and arrested our man, he was going by some cunning device to escape us. After a delay of more than an hour, during which Colonel Clay fretted and fumed quite as much as we did, the Etage arrived. To our horror and astonishment, he proceeded to salute the prisoner most affectionately. Hello, Algy, he cried, grasping his hands. What's up? What do these ruffians want with you? It began to dawn upon us, then what matters had meant by suspecting everybody the real colonel clay was no common adventurer but a gentleman of birth and high connections the colonel glared at us this fellow declares you sir charles vandrift he said sulkily though in fact there are two of them and he accuses me of forgery fraud and theft bertie the attache stared hard at us this is sir charles vandrift he replied after a moment I remember hearing him make a speech once at a city dinner. And what charge have you to prefer, Sir Charles, against my cousin? Your cousin? Charles cried. This is Colonel Clay, the notorious sharper. The attached smiled a gentlemanly and superior smile. This is Colonel Clay, he answered, of the Bengal Staff Corps. It began to strike us there was something wrong somewhere. But he has cheated me all the same charles said at nice two years ago and many times since in this very day he has tricked me out of two thousand pounds in french banknotes which he is now about him the colonel was speechless but the attache laughed what he has done to-day i do not know he said but if it's as apocryphal as what you say he did two years ago you've a thundering bad case sir for he was then in india and i was out there visiting him where are the two thousand pounds charles cried why you've got them in your hand you're holding the envelope the colonel produced it this envelope he said was left with me by the man with short stiff hair who came just before you and who announced himself as sir charles vandrift he said he was interested in tea and assam and he wanted me to join the board of directors of some bogus company these are his papers i believe and he handed them to his cousin well i'm glad the notes are safe anyhow charles murmured in a tone of relief beginning to smell a rat will you kindly return them to me the attached turned out the contents of the envelope they proved to be prospectuses of bubble companies of the moment of no importance medhurst must have put them there i cried and decamped with the cash charles gave a groan of horror and medhurst is colonel clay he exclaimed clapping his hand to his forehead i beg your pardon sir the colonel interposed 
I have but one personality and no aliases. It took quite half an hour to explain this in Broglio, but as soon as all was explained in French and English, to the satisfaction of ourselves and the jeu d'instruction, the real colonel shook hands with us in a most forgiving way, and informed us that he had more than once wondered when he gave his name at shops in Paris, why I was often received with such grave suspicion. We instructed the police that the true culprit was Methurst, whom they had seen with their own eyes, and whom we urged them to pursue with all expedition. Meanwhile, Charles and I, accompanied by the colonel and the attache to see the fun out, as they said, called at the Bank of France for the purpose of stopping the notes immediately. It was too late, however. They had been presented at once and cast in gold by a pleasant little lady in an American costume, who was afterwards identified by the hotel keeper, from our description, as his lodger, Madame Picardet. It was clear she had taken rooms in the same hotel to be near the Indian colonel, and it was she who had received and sent the letters. As for our foe, he had vanished into space, as always. Two days later, we received the usual insulting communication on a sheet of Charles' own dainty note. Last time he wrote it, it was on the Craig Elichy paper. This time, like the want on Lapwing, he had got himself another crest. Most perspicacious of millionaires. Said I not well as Medhurst that you must never distrust anybody? And the one man you never dreamt of distrusting was Medhurst. Yet see how truthful I was? I told you I knew where Colonel Clay was living, and I did know exactly. I promised to take you to Colonel Clay's rooms and to get him arrested for you, and I kept my promise. I even exceeded your expectations, for I gave you two Colonel Clays instead of one, and you took the wrong man, that is to say, the real one. This was a neat trick, but it cost me some trouble. First I found out there was a real Colonel Clay in the Indian Army. I also found out he chanced to be coming home on leave this season. I might have made more out of him, no doubt, but I disliked annoying him, and preferred to give myself the fun of this peculiar mystification. I therefore waited for him to reach Paris, where the police arrangements suited me better than in London. While I was looking about and delaying operations for his return, I happened to hear you wanted a detective, so I offered myself out of work to my old employer, Marvelier, from whom I have had many good jobs in the past. And there you get, in short, the colonel of the colonel. Naturally, after this, I can never go back as a detective to Marvelier's, but on the large scale on which I have learned to work since I first had the pleasure of making your delightful acquaintance, this matters little. To say the truth, I begin to feel a detective work a cut or two below me. I am now a gentleman of means and leisure. Besides, the extra knowledge of your movements, which I have acquired in your house, has helped still further to give me various holds upon you. So the fluke will be true to his own pet lamb. To vary the metaphor, you are not fully shorn yet. Remember me most kindly to your family. Give Wentworth my love, and tell Mademoiselle Césarine I owe her a grudge which I shall never forget. She clearly suspected me. You are much too rich, dear Charles. I relieve your plethora. I bleed you financially.
Therefore, I consider myself your sincerest friend, Clay Brabazon Medhurst, fellow of the Royal College of Surgeons. Charles was threatened with apoplexy. This blow was severe. Whom can I trust? he asked plaintively. When the detectives themselves, whom I employed to guard me, turn out to be swindlers. Don't you remember that line in the Latin grammar, something about who shall watch the watchers? I think it used to run, Gis custodes custodiet ipsos. But I felt this episode had at least disproved my suspicions of poor Cesarine. End of chapter 7. End of An African Millionaire. Episodes in the life of the illustrious colonel clay by grant allen recorded by mike ferry two fifty two